David kills Goliath. Saul tries to kill David. David tries not to kill Saul. And God finally kills Saul. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith. This is Brandon, and we are pastors at Gospel Community Church here in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome. Like, subscribe, comment, all the good stuff to get the word out there. What are we talking about today? Well, we are, we're going to finish up the book of 1 Samuel. Oh, it's been great so far, and it's about to get greater. Yes, yes. yes. More dying. More dying. That's just the thing throughout the whole Bible, I think. you got to love the Bible. You know, anybody who says it's, you know, just a boring book... Okay, it's sometimes boring to read, but if you look into it, oh man, it is full yeah. of. It's better than any movie out there. There right. are those sections we, we pass through them, right? In the <laughs> yeah. in the uh, Pentateuch, I, I get it, I get it. But this, no, this isn't boring. This yeah, is good stuff. This, this good is stuff. great. So, um, what's First Samuel all about? You know, um, up to this point. Yeah, so we we've seen First Samuel is the story of how God is going to fulfill His promise mm-hmm. of a king through Saul or through David, but right. first it's Saul, right? Saul is the foil to David. Right. And finally the the promise is fulfilled in David, who's the true king. Mm-hmm. So we said last week it ties into Second Samuel. These are one book in the Hebrew canon uh, right. of scripture. And so for some reason in our in our Bible we've split it into two parts. Yeah. Um to make it shorter, I guess. But uh, this is one coherent story. And so we saw these problems that it built in judges and um where the solution was being pointed to in Ruth, which is that a true king is going to come. So in First Samuel, we saw this demand for a king like the nations, right? Not a king after God's own heart, but a king like the nations, and that's what they received mm-hmm. in Saul. He's right. the the he's the the people's king. Yeah, he's a scrub. Yeah, and yep. he, and so he's at first he starts well, he's strong, he's he's big, he's good looking, and he wins Super battles. Good looking until his heart is turned against God, and mm. he reveals. That he doesn't have God's purposes in mind. Yep. So, for, so we're going to see. We saw the first half was all of that, and the second half, we're going to see David rise mm-hmm. and Saul really fall apart right. completely. Yep. Exactly. So, <clears throat> um, so we left off with kind of the rejection of Saul and s- the starting of the rise of David. David's first introduced to the story. Um, Saul's story is going to go on a, a bit longer, but why would God choose Saul? I mean, this is a great question. Like the book of Ruth ends with David. Why would God choose Saul if he was only going to get rejected in the end? Yeah, so it's because God wanted them to see what they were demanding, right? What I the, see. Okay. Because, and Samuel warns them about this. He says, this, this king is going to do all these bad things, and they want it anyway, right? right? So this is the result of uh, a, a king that's not after God's own heart. This is the best mm. humanity has to offer. Mm. That's what Saul is all about. What can humans offer? This is as good as it gets, and he seems like he's going to be successful, but in the end, he doesn't follow God. Right. He goes away from God, and this is what uh, human effort will do, is it'll lead to just destruction. It's the same pattern, really, that you're, you're heading towards as the entire book of Judges. Right. Nothing's really changed. That makes sense. So David is... is Saul's the foil to David. Mm-hmm. He's the anti-David, so to speak. Mm. He's the one who shows human's way, and David is going to show God's way, mm-hmm. at least for a good part of his of his rise. Right. So let's get into it. Chapter 16. Yeah. So chapter 16. So we see that uh, David is anointed in this chapter. So Samuel is sent to the city of Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Um, this is obviously very important, right? Yeah, yeah. Why, we talked about it a little last week, but why is it important? Why is Bethlehem? Yeah, because it's it, it's prominent in the book of Judges at the end. We see this 
conflict between uh, Gibeah and Bethlehem, mm-hmm. sort of. At the end of the book, um, Bethlehem is mentioned a few times. Gibeah, that's where Saul is from. Right. Bethlehem is where David is from. So it's setting up for First Samuel. It also sets up for the book of, of Ruth, right, which introduces the line of David, yeah. or it shows the continuation of the line of David through this woman, Ruth, who comes to a town of Bethlehem. Right. So Bethlehem is very, very important. Um, and we see that in this chapter that God's choice of David is somewhat mysterious. Mm-hmm. We don't see a clear explanation of why God chooses, except for he's saying that he has the right kind of heart. Right. That's that's the emphasis again and again, is that his heart is right. Which, again, is contrasted with Saul, right? Yeah. Yeah, Saul was just good looking. <laughs> really. Yes. So. Yeah. So, so when we see, you know, the, the, he goes to the town of, of Bethlehem, mm-hmm. he goes to a certain house, the house of, of Jesse, and his sons are brought out, and he sees the first one, and he thinks, you know, this has got to be the king. He's so impressive looking, right? Just like Saul. Hmm. And in verse 7, the Lord says to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks hmm. on the heart. So God's choice of David is going to be based upon his character, who he is. Right. And so we see that uh, finally... All the all the sons of Jesse are brought forward, mm-hmm. and there's just one left, and he's with the sheep in the field. Mm. So we see David. His first introduction to the story is as a shepherd. Right. That's very important. Right. Very important. You can't really overstate how important that is in the story of Scripture. So he's a shepherd, and he's anointed. Right. Even though he's the youngest, he's anointed, and it says in verse 13, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And then in verse 14, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Hmm. So God's Spirit has come to David. He's empowering him for service. And any true king needs the Spirit of God guiding them. Right. So the Spirit has come to David and has departed from Saul. Hmm. And so there's a big turn in the story here. Hmm. And that's because, of course, we've seen before that Saul has been rejected by God. And he's no longer going to be God's anointed. This might be a little rabbit hole, but I've heard a lot of people go to this verse and say, look, you can lose your salvation, right? So the spirit was in Saul, and look, God just decided, and also Saul's obedient, disobedience caused you know him to walk away from God, right? Yeah. So how do you answer that? Yeah, so the the spirit of God in the sense of how he's operating in the Old Testament is, is different from what we're seeing in the New Testament, mm-hmm. where the spirit is really dwelling in us. Uh, it's just, it's a communion, eternal like communion, unbroken communion with God. Yeah, here it's it's a different reality. It's we see it with Samson. We see it a lot of different times where the Spirit of God comes to somebody and and moves them to do a certain action, right? To complete a certain task. And while that idea is present in the New Testament as well, it's it's different in mm-hmm. the Old Testament. It's not the abiding of God's Spirit. It's not the indwelling of God's indwelling, Spirit. Yeah, that's, and yeah. yeah, and so so what's what it's talking about here is not so much his salvation as it is. His aptitude for service, his ability right. to serve God. Very good. Cool. So we have Saul, um, bad shepherd, David. Well, let's see how David is. Yeah. So chapter 17. Yeah, chapter 17. So this is one of the greatest stories in the Bible, right? One of the most famous stories in history, really. Mm-hmm. Yep. David versus Goliath. That's great. Dun. But it's also, it's not just David versus Goliath. It's also sort of David versus Saul. Yeah. In that's sort of an under-the-surface way, we see this this contrast that's building. Yeah, Saul ain't fighting no Goliath, right? That's right. So. That's right. So there's a challenge to single combat from this Philistine champion named Goliath who mm-hmm. is 
about nine feet tall. That's sort of the measurements given in scripture. He's about nine feet tall. He has huge weapons, right? I mean, just these massive spear and um, sword and all these things. And he's challenging the people of Israel mm-hmm. to single combat. He says, send forward your best soldier mm-hmm. and I'll fight them. And whoever wins, that that whole nation is victorious. Right. Right. So one one warrior can determine the fate of the whole nation mm-hmm. is the idea. Um, and so he challenges them to combat. And we see... David comes to bring some food to his brothers, and he's he hears about this this you know warrior that's challenging them. He sees Goliath. He starts to ask questions. You know what what's what's happening? And in fact, I thought it was interesting in verse twenty two. Um, it says David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. It's interesting that the same. So remember, where was Saul when he was anointed king and, and appointed king? Mm-hmm. He was hiding right. in the baggage. Right. And now David, it's a sim- same, similar, you know, idea. And instead of, you know, hiding, <laughs> he's actually putting himself forward. Right. He's he's jumping in and saying, someone has to stop this guy from blaspheming God. Right. So there's a contrast that's developing. And then when Saul hears that David is, is uh, asking questions, he brings him to his, you know, tent, I'm, I'm assuming, and he has this conversation with him, right? And he says, essentially, okay, you, 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 want, you want to fight this guy? Are you, no one else is willing to do it. Are you willing to do it? Now, think about this. Who, so you have a nine foot tall Goliath, right? A giant, the greatest and tallest warrior in Philistia. Mm-hmm. Who would be comparable to that in Israel? Who would be the tallest, strongest, best warrior? Tall. Exactly. So it's pretty easy to know, right? The guy who's head and shoulders. Now he's not probably nine feet tall, and we're close to that, but he's big. Right. He's strong. He should be the guy going out there. Right. And instead, he is hiding in fear like everyone else. Yep. He's not a good king. Right. He's not brave. He doesn't trust in God. And then in this conversation between Saul and David, Saul points to his res or David points to his resume, right? Saul's saying, you know, what kind of why should we have you go out there, you're just a youth. This mm-hmm. guy's been training since he was your age, right? Right. And in verse uh, 34, David points to his credentials. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Mm-hmm. I'm a shepherd. <laughs> and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him down and delivered it out of his mouth. Mm. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That's that's pretty Gnarly. intense, right? <laughs> you grabbed them and killed them. Yeah. And he says, your servant has struck down both lion and lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. I'm just getting pictures of, you know, those, you know, good old boys coming out west and kill a bear with a bowie knife, you know? <laughs> it's just like, this guy's gnarly. <laughs> yeah, he's super gnarly. <laughs> And he's what he's saying is, this is how I shepherd. Right. Someone threatens the flock, I take them out. Mm. That's what a good shepherd does. And Saul is not a good shepherd. Right. He's not saying that directly, but that's the implication we can get as as the readers. Saul is not doing that. David wants to do that. Mm. He wants to defend God's flock, and he has faith in God. Right. Verse thirty seven. He says. He says, "Yeah, the, the, this this lion. Sorry, the, the Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, 
will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Mm. So he's very adamant that it is God who's going to deliver him. Right. It's God who he has faith in. And so he's going to battle. Mm. So what happens in verses 38 and 39 is really interesting. Saul actually clothes David in his own armor. Mm. So he, he he puts him in his armor because he doesn't want David to go to battle and lose. Right. Saul has a vested interest in winning the battle, obviously. So he gives him his armor to equip him to the best of his ability to fight. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting uh, exchange that happens here because what happens he, is he says, he says, I cannot go with these, David says, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. Mm-hmm. So that statement re- reminds us that David is untrained in warfare and now he's un- he's unarmed and he's vulnerable. Right. right. Without armor, without the right weapons, how are you possibly going to win? Right. So this raises the stakes. It also, though, it also points to somebody who did have both of those things again, mm-hmm. right? Who does have armor? Who does have training? Well, obviously the guy who's trying to give his armor to David, <laughs> Saul. And really there's an interesting thing happening here, which is it's significant that Saul is pretty much admitting by dressing David in his clothing that he's mm-hmm. not the king Israel needs. Right. If, if, if David had gone out with that armor, people would have assumed it was Saul. Right. So, so David is stepping into the place very clearly of Saul in numerous ways. Mm. And so he goes before Dave, a Goliath with a few smooth stones and his sling and his staff, and he just trash talks him. I love it. <laughs> like Goliath trash talks him first. You know, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. And David says, he has this one of the greatest speeches ever. He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Mm. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Mm. I mean, that's a theologically laden trash talk. I love it so much, right? (laughs) There's a God. He fights for Israel. It's in our name. Mm-hmm. How dare you defy this God? Right. He's doing it for God's glory. Right, not his own. Right. It's, it's pointing back to the Exodus, right? This exalting of God's name. He gets it. And then he slings a, a stone, hits him in the head, knocks him you know, unconscious. He falls down. And then in verse 51, we see he draws out his Goliath sword and chops his head off with it. Right. Which is, that's what killed Goliath, by the way. (laughs) It wasn't the stone. It was the chopping off of the head, just in case you were wondering. So, I mean, what what an amazing picture of the victory that a true king brings. Right. Right. By trusting in God, by knowing God's word, by looking to him, David leads his people in victory. Right. And he wins the battle for them. Yeah. An incredible story. Incredible story. And shows that he's... He has what it takes to be the true king. Amen. Amen. So uh, exciting chapter 17, and we move on to 18, and uh, David uh, gets a friend, right? Yeah. So David and Jonathan, which is Saul's son, uh, have this covenant bond, right? Mm-hmm. They have this deep friendship. They make a covenant. And uh, really in, in, this, in this friendship of David and Jonathan, we see that uh, Jonathan understands that God's going to work through David. Right. 
So we'll see that a little bit later. That's, that's going to be a theme. Mm-hmm. But what happens is, as a result of the victory of David is that Saul is jealous of David. Right. So um, we see in verse 7 of chapter 18, the people were singing. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Mm. So Saul's been victorious, but David's been more victorious. Right. And Saul does not like that. Nope. Which who they should have known that. I don't know why they composed that song just to <laughs> upset the king. But and so verse ten, um, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. Yep. And What's he that raved. All about? Yeah. So he's so God you know, is has departed from Saul and now he's afflicting Saul and Saul is uh, he's going on the path that he's chosen for himself, right. right? He's hardening his heart and God is giving him over into that. And he's trying to kill David. Yeah. And so, and, and if you have a problem about that, you should, you're going to have a problem with, you know, the Exodus story as well with Pharaoh. So yeah, same, you know. same general idea, right? Yeah. God is giving him over into his sin. <laughs> and so he keeps trying to, to kill him, but David or God keeps protecting David. Right. Yeah. And so he, he, one of his plans for, for killing David is David wants to marry Saul's daughter that gives mm-hmm. him prestige and all that. And so uh, it's a very weird passage, but Saul says, if you bring me the 100 uh, foreskins of Philistines, <laughs> I will give you my wife. That's the bride price. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, like did you, hopefully you killed them first. I don't know, hopefully. I, but he brings 200. He brings 200 because I you really needed uh, 200 of those. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, I wonder if, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's not. Let's <laughs> not speculate from there on out. Just weird, weird stuff. And then in the rest of the book, so nineteen and thirty-one, we just see Saul unraveling downward yeah. spiral into more and more destruction, mm-hmm. and God's protection of David. Remember, we saw this in chapter two, the Song of Hannah. Yep. This prayer Hannah gave, and how she's talking about the protection God gives to His anointed. Mm-hmm. That's what we see in the story of of David and Saul. Mm. So, so God's protecting David, and um, even Jonathan, right, Saul's son, right. realizes how crazy his dad is. Right. And so he's warning, in chapter 19, he's fighting with his dad mm-hmm. over this, this violence he has against David. And, right. and he even lashes out at his son. He does this a few different times. And so God is protecting him. We see uh, in chapter, or verses 9 and 10 of chapter nine, 19, sorry, says, uh, Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he eluded Saul. Mm-hmm. And so David is constantly dodging bullets, uh, <laughs> quite literally. In chapter 20, we see um, this prolonged account where Jonathan is warning David about Saul's hatred for him. And, and again, this covenant they have. In verse 15, he says, make this covenant. And Jonathan says, do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan understands what God is doing through David, and he asks for mercy and grace Mm. when that time comes. Right. It's very significant. And again, remember that for 2 Samuel. It's very, very important. So we see this happening. And then in verse, verse, uh, I love verse 30. (laughs) Uh, Just just a fun fact, right? So Saul is getting so angry with Jonathan for being on David's side that he says says to his son, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so he's insulting his wife. Yep. And yeah, like, who's that? Yeah, that's your mom. Okay. Uh, anyway, so in chapter 21, we see David going to the city of Nob, taking refuge with the priests there. And uh, he actually takes the sword of Goliath um, while he's there and he eats of the holy bread. 
which mm-hmm. will be mentioned by Jesus later on in the Gospels. But this is gonna this is bad because it's gonna come back to to haunt the priests of Nob as they end up getting killed because Saul is so crazy he thinks that they're mm-hmm. conspiring against him. Right. So in chapter twenty two we see that they're that they're killed, and we see David gathering his squad together in mm-hmm. chapter twenty two. So these are these are David's wilderness years, right? These right. are his, this is his time of wandering, just like Moses did before his ministry. Yeah, a lot of the Psalms come from this area, right? Mm-hmm. So some of them. Yeah, just yeah. just like the people of Israel did, wandering wilderness and and wilderness times in the Bible are times of tempting. They're times of testing, mm. and so so David's being testing, and he's passing the test for the most part. Right. So what what we see in in chapter twenty four is that. He actually is resisting the temptation to turn against Saul. Mm-hmm. So we see actually in 24, uh, he, he's in a cave and Saul comes in to relieve himself to, to go to the little boy's room. Mm-hmm. Um, and David has a chance to kill him. Yep. He's right there. He can kill him. And he instead takes off the corner of Saul's robe. And <laughs> in verse 5, it says, afterward, David's heart struck him. Because he had cut off a, a corner of Saul's robe, so he's he's so sensitive to respecting God's anointed mm. that he doesn't even want to take part of his robe. Right. And in verse six, he said to his men, "The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, mm-hmm. to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed." And in verse ten again, he calls him the Lord's anointed. So there's just emphasis in this chapter on. The special role that the that the anointed Mashiach right. has, and David's understanding of that, right, and so he wants to respect that. He's a he's a man of integrity and honor. I mean, way above and beyond what most of us would do, any of us would do, I would think. Right. So we we, we see this again in chapter twenty six. I mean, many times he says, "The Lord's anointed, the Lord's anointed." He has a chance to kill Saul again, right, and he doesn't do it. And um, he's constantly referring to him as the Mashiach, the Messiah of the Lord. So he understands that importance that God has to do that at the right time. Mm-hmm. So he's holding back. Now in verse 25, we see we see a little hint at, at some of the, the weaknesses of David. Mm-hmm. So he has this interaction with this guy, Nabal. Nabal, that name means fool. Right. So again, doesn't bode well for Nabal, and he is a fool. Mm-hmm. And he basically provokes David to anger, but... His wife Abigail intercedes mm-hmm. and keeps David from what would have been a terrible thing, which would be slaughtering right. Nabal and his household. He's so angry. So we see some of the some of the problems there. We also he ends up after God kills Nabal, Abigail is left without a husband, and David marries her. Hmm. So if you're doing the math, <laughs> that's more than one wife <laughs> at this point. So that's all that matters, right? It's starting. It's yeah. Starting. So the so Deuteronomy 17 again. No multiplying gold, gals, giddy up, right? <laughs> Not having no 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 multiplication of wealth, no multiplication of wives, right. no multiplication of horses. Uh, David's starting to do that, right? And this is going to be downfall. his downfall. Yep. It will be his downfall. Yep. So we see that even he is not the perfect king. king. Yeah. So. Chapter twenty-seven, we see um, David going to the Philistines. Mm-hmm. God's already proven himself that he can defeat the Philistines, so David doesn't have to be worried about that, right? <laughs> and uh, and he's basically going on these raiding missions and lying about who he's attacking. Mm. He's saying, oh, I'm attacking the Israelites, but really he's attacking the enemies of Israel. He's fighting the battles of Israel even while he's away right. and not able to be with them. So we see 
that he is the the true king. Mm. And then toward the end, we see as Saul's downward spiral continues, he ends up at Endor, which is a moon from Star Wars where Ewoks live. (laughs) I think no, that's that. See, they just they just steal from the Bible without any qualms. Yeah, they just take a dash out, you know. Yeah. (laughs) So Endor is uh, is this town that they're at, and there's a there's a battle here right against the Philistines, and. Saul seeks out God. Mm-hmm. Saul, who's, I mean, effectively abandoned God in every aspect of his life, d- doesn't listen to his word, now wants to hear from God. And little, amazingly, little to the party. Yeah. Amazingly, he doesn't, God doesn't answer. Verse 6 of chapter 28, it says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. So God has gone silent on Saul. Right. And we shouldn't we shouldn't be surprised when we reject God's word that eventually God will stop sending His word. Hmm. That shouldn't be surprising to us at all. But that's what Saul's doing here. Yeah, I mean, think of the graciousness now. Even if today, if someone you know rejects God, His word is still available to anybody. Yeah, <laughs> and we still reject it, right? Yeah, we, so. it's right there. We can access it, and yet we push it aside. So. God now won't help him, won't answer him. Mm-hmm. So Saul does something very wicked, which is he turns to go to a a, a pagan, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who's engaged in pagan witchcraft, necromancy, whatever you want to call it. And in verse 7, we see it says, Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. So it's, this is a witch, this is someone who's engaged in pagan practices of trying to seek the God's wills or who will try to bring people back from the dead. I mean, just right. stuff that God had clearly forbidden right. in Deuteronomy 18. And we mm-hmm. saw just how how severe the punishment was for false worship mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy. Yeah. And and Saul, it, it, this chapter shows us that Saul actually was following God's law. He was driving them out. Mm-hmm. And that's why the, the lady is actually going to be afraid of Saul when she realizes who he is because he's he was following God's law. But now he's he's gone to expediency and what's pragmatic over what's principled. Mm-hmm. And so he disobeys God's God's law. That's something that's worthy of, of death, according to Old Testament law. Right. And so he asks the lady to, the, the, this medium, to bring Samuel back from the dead. So to bring, I guess you could say, the ghost of Samuel, the spirit of Samuel, mm-hmm. To speak to him, yeah, that's that's really interesting because that hasn't happened so far in the Bible. Like, is that even possible for this pagan person to do such a thing? Yeah, it's really hard to tell. I mean, from from the from the wording, if you just take it at face value, it seems like she's actually bringing in some way the word of Samuel or Samuel's communication to Saul. Mm-hmm. That just seems to be the normal reading of it. And what we do know about these pagan practices is that there's a lot of power in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. The Bible is clear about that, that these things, they're not just forbidden because they're worship of a false god, but because demons work through these things. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising to us, I guess, that there's things beyond our understanding. Right. So this, this could be Samuel. It could be an evil spirit pretending to be Samuel. We don't, doesn't exactly say, but it's, right. it seems best just to take it at face value. Right. Which is she's able to, in some sense, get a communication between Saul and Samuel. Bizarre, crazy. And and how illogical is it? I mean, God won't speak to you. Why would God speak through Samuel to speak to you? Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. It's not as if Samuel was some, had some special power. He just had God's word because God spoke to him. So the, the whole idea is, is crazy, mm-hmm. but he's so desperate. Right. He's unraveling so fast. Mm-hmm. And so um, we see, you know, verse, verse 17, Samuel tells him, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. Yep. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to lose the battle. Those words. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he knew that already. Yeah. This is not surprising. So you're going to lose the battle. You're going to die. Your children are going to die. Right. This is not the message she was probably hoping for. Mm-hmm. But it's the truth. So, so yeah. So at the, at the end of the book, we see, as we've seen God protecting David through all these circumstances, we eventually see Saul himself dying. Yep. Dying by suicide as he's about to be conquered by, by the Philistines and his sons being killed with them. And so, just I mean, just a tragic end for a character that started so well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Saul, you want to love the guy. Right. He seems to have such potential, and yet we see what happens when a leader, or really any person by extension, doesn't have faith in God, doesn't depend on God. Yeah, doesn't seek to be obedient to his word. Yeah. Doesn't care to know his word, right? And there's, so. and there's all sorts of, I think there's just so many messages from our world about how faithlessness, not having faith in God is not a big deal, mm-hmm. but how it doesn't, doesn't really matter and how you can have a good life without God. Again, I think about the serpent's temptation, right? That y- you won't die if you disobey God. Right. You, you won't surely die. And what we see in, in Saul's story and in so many stories in scripture is there is a consequence for disobeying God. Right. So we need to, we need to take the warnings we're given in scripture and heed them. This is not just a, a part of the story. This is a real person who right. made real mistakes. And we can do the same thing. We can start well and we can end poorly. Right. Happens all the time. Oh, yeah, 100%. So that's the book of 1 Samuel. Um, but let's see how the gospel connects to it. Where's the, where's the gospel significance uh, in this book? Yeah, so what we do see in, in David's own words is such a pointer to the, the future king, the future Messiah, right? This idea of the shepherd that we've looked at so, so much in this section, this theme again and again of um, God needing a shepherd to rule his people. That shepherd motif mm-hmm. will become the main way of looking at leaders right. in Israel's history. I mean, this is a, it's a big idea. Right. And, and it started with Moses, well, really before Moses with Jacob and, and with Abraham, but David is really the central figure in that. Right. And he shows that God's leaders should be shepherds. They should care. They should watch over. They should provide for right. and protect the flock of God. Right. But David in his ministry realizes over the course of his life that he is not the shepherd Israel needs. Right. And that's why he so he writes in the most famous psalm, Psalm, psalm 23. He starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. That's not just a pastoral image it's not just one of you know jesus with the the backlight and the glow and the long hair holding the sheep right what he's saying is god is the ruler that israel needs right it's him who provides for us who cares for us that's what the psalm is all about right and in fact the 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 chapters around psalm 23 point to that same idea Mm -hmm. psalm 22 is all about this servant who will suffer who's forsaken by god who's pierced who has his, you know, his garments, uh, you know, taken from him. Mm-hmm. And in verse twenty-eight of Psalm twenty-two, 
says, for kingship belongs to the Lord. Mm. Kingship, the, the, the right to rule is God's. Right. And then in the next chapter, chapter 24, he's talking about this king of glory. Who can ascend to the hill of God? Who ha, who's able to do this? And he says in verse 7, lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Right. God is the king they need. And right. so when Jesus comes along in John chapter 10, and he says, I am the good shepherd. Right. The weight of those words is impossible to mm. fathom. Right. For a nation that had understood that, that had been told, you need a shepherd, David, who was uh, so good, he still was failing. That has to be fulfilled through someone better, and through the Messiah, through the Christ, right? through Jesus Christ. So he is the shepherd that gives us what we truly need. Yeah, amen, amen. Well, anything else? Well, also, just a, a quick note, um, that we saw that David has God's spirit come upon him, right? And in the ministry of Jesus, we see the same thing. Mm-hmm. Jesus as the true king, as the true prophet, as the true priest, God's spirit is with him, mm-hmm. right? Luke 4, he quotes, you know, that verse, he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right. So God, God's spirit is with him, moving through his ministry, empowering him. You right. might think, well, Jesus doesn't need God's spirit because he's God. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess in a sense that's true, <laughs> but the spirit is working through Jesus as well. There's cooperation here in, this, in the same way that kings of old had, had the spirit with them if right. they were the true Messiah of God. Right. Yeah, amen. And that spirit is that same spirit is given to us so that we can yeah, obey. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Taken to the end of the story, right? God has given a spirit to each of us to live with us, not mm-hmm. just to a certain anointed one. Right. It's to all of God's people because we are in Christ. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Let's be obedient to God and and love him and yeah, and do his work here on this world. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week.